You're listening to I Swear I'm Real, the podcast about the truth of the transgender and or non-cisgender experience. I'm your host, Alex Vaughn, and I use they, them pronouns. When I was 40, I got the language that being non-binary felt true to me. And shortly after, I came to discover that I'm also transgender. My queerness saved my life, imploded my life, really, because I realized the life I had wasn't the one I wanted. And I understood at the core level that we are all meant to transform. Being queer is authentic and authenticity is bigger than love. Love leads you to authenticity, which will stand alone by design. It'll blow out doors and windows. Our external world drastically shifts once you have enough courage to journey your internal world. In other words, reflect on where you've been. Decide for yourself how you want to transmute those experiences into making you and your world a better place. Coming out allowed me to gain a lot of perspective and self-awareness, and most importantly, empathy for witnessing myself and others. I saw the ugly in myself and then tended to it through healing practices I learned from the holistic psychologist, Dr. Nicole LaPera. What I saw that was that being trans was not anything ugly at all. It was denying myself of that. Dr. LaPera's work shows us that we all have the power to heal ourselves and we're actually the only ones who can do it. At the same time, we can't compare our process to anyone else. The comparison will kill the joy and becoming can't happen. I want to clarify as you listen to these stories that not all transgender people are non-binary and not all non-binary people are transgender. Being trans is an umbrella based on heteronormative practices. The answer we are all expected to have is since you're not one thing, you must be another. This is where non-cisgender comes into play. Not all people experience themselves as cisgender or even transgender, but that doesn't make them less real. If you say you love all people, then deny that trans people exist. That's not love. That's sitting quietly in a dark room by yourself, asking the walls to make you a milkshake. How ridiculous, boring, and lonely. If you're going to say you love a trans child or a trans person while they were standing in front of you, and then tell them they can only get access to care, change their name, receive gender-affirming surgery, to name a few things, when you're comfortable, That's not love. That's transphobia, which is controlling another person, which is domestic abuse. So it'll be up to you to widen your perspective, open your mind's eye. We are energy inhabiting bodies. So our bodies are the vehicle of how we experience the world. Some of us have energy that comes with being trans, being non-binary, being not cisgender. Our bodies are meant to evolve, so our body is the body we got. You have to do the best you can with the body that brought you in to this world, including the things that affirm who we know ourselves to be on the inside. We live in a heteronormative world. How we got here is another podcast. Find 1619 or Pod Save the People, but it's a product of white dominant culture, meaning we were conditioned after we stole the land from the natives for our society to live and align with this experience, even when it's not them. The message from birth is that you are to be cisgender, meaning your sex is based on your body parts and that aligns with how you feel on the inside and heterosexual. Okay, so picture gender reveal parties and preschool little, a preschool age little Ethan and little Bella are gonna get married, how cute, except when it's not. When none of those things you've been told, cisgender, heterosexual, feel true, as in the stories you'll hear here. Gender reveal parties aren't cute. (laughs) What they are is genitalia reveal parties, which which if you think of it as an adult, would you want someone opening up your pants to a bunch of strangers saying, look, a penis, a vulva. So what if you're intersex? Yet we do it to kids all the time. This is harmful to everyone's well-being, including the cisgender white straight men who are at the center of power and privilege. Here's what this podcast reveals, Balls of Magic. The truth in you, meaning you have the strength, the courage, 
to hear someone else's experience and believe them because we're not them. So who are we to doubt who they say they are? Life will be stranger than fiction to anyone who has not dared to live. You have to learn how to listen without worrying about what their truth will do to you. In my experience, every time I've told my truth, it has been a litmus test for anyone around me. They can behave in ways that show how much inner work they've done and how open they are to different kinds of people, including their own children. So enjoy this podcast if you dare to know what it means to be honest and transgender. Welcome back, truth tellers and dirt diggers to another episode of I Swear I'm Real, the podcast where we talk about the transgender or non-cisgender experience. Today, I'm super excited. We have a very special guest. Their name is Sage Contunio. Yes? Yes, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, They're a director and a writer and a storyboard artist located in Los Angeles, California. Um, Queer, non-binary, mixed race, Victorian horror nerd born in Los Angeles. So um, without further ado, I'm not going to waste any time. We're just going to get right into it. Um, uh, Listeners, you will know where to find Sage and all of their work. Um, But let's start out. Tell us about you. Hi. So um, again, first want to say thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, uh, like you said, I am. I'm an artist. I'm a writer, a creative storyteller. Um, my first graphic novel came out this year, um, called The Glass Scientists. Um, and I am. Um, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm like I'm blanking for a second. Like, who am I outside of my work? I feel like we're that's gonna, gonna roll. A, it's all good. That's gonna be that's gonna be a subject of um I'm a bit of a workaholic. Um, I am, um, someone. Uh, I I I think a lot about mixed identity. It's probably like my big kind of like touchstone issue of my life. Um, trying to find space kind of outside of, you know, outside of like clear definitions of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm still just trying to find my way every day. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about like where you had to go in order to where you are now. Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, I've, I, I think my identity has very much kind of evolved over years. Um, I think kind of the foundation of how I think about myself, um, the one part of my identity that I've known about since I was, you know, a very small child is the fact mm-hmm. that I am mixed race. Um, I am half Japanese, half um, half white, half uh, Italian French is kind of the breakdown within that space. Um, and always being aware that, you know, my mom and my dad come from very different cultures, but like, I don't really belong in either of them um Mm. and I think that was always very much like a point of you know like I don't really look like my classmates I don't really look like my parents I don't really look like anybody um and I think um one thing I've kind of come into as an adult is finding that that in-between space is a valid space in and of itself um and that the desire to fit perfectly into one of those two boxes you know it, it's a losing battle like you know there's there's no space in which i can become you know 100 japanese um i can't have had the experience of being fluent in japanese my entire life that's just not a reality um but i think once you can come to accept that um there's there's all this kind of like power and strength in having that fluidity and that space to move between um, and that sort of informed the two other main identities that I come from, um, being, you know, bisexual, um, I came out as bi, um, right after college, um, and after struggling a long time, um, with a lot of internalized homophobia, um, mm. I grew up, um, I was, I was a teenager in like the mid 2000s, which I feel like kind of like peak biphobia era, <laughs> Um, in, in my opinion, um, I feel like I have a theory that um, kind of like right right after things become just socially acceptable enough to talk about, it immediately becomes socially acceptable to joke about kind of like the next one down, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, I really like the show. Um, did you ever watch um, How You Met Your Mother? Uh, yeah, I've caught in, uh, snippets of it before. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite um, homophobic in a lot of ways. Quite, yeah, I would say, like, specifically uh, transphobic, I think it's yeah. what I would say, like, and, but I would argue that 
the jokes in that show are not like directly maliciously attacking trans people. It's more like they haven't yet realized that trans people kind of are a real thing. Um, they've discovered that gay people are a thing, but they're like, well, who can we make fun of now? Like we have to, we have, you know, a joke quoted, hit it. who do we have? Who can we punch down to? Um, trans people, they don't, they're not real. Um, and I, I swear I'm like, real. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I feel like when gay people became accepted, it was still cool to make fun of bisexual people. You know, it was like, it was, I was fetishized or it was erased. And there were all these, you know, like, oh, it's not real or it's, you know, it's, it's slutty. Um, and that's kind of where I grew up in that space and that headspace. And so it took me a really long time to unpack all of that and to really get to a space where it's like, oh no, like you don't, you're not, if you come out as bisexual, you will not transform into the stereotype of, you know, this slutty college girl, just, you know, um, you know, making out with girls to, to get men's attention. Yeah. Um, and that took a really long time to move past. Um, but once I did, I feel like embracing the fact that it's its own separate identity, that is not just, you know, half gay, that is not, you know, begging to be accepted perfectly into the gay and lesbian um, identity. I feel like that was like a big moment of revelation for me. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that I'm currently moving through, you know, as you know, a non-binary person. And that's kind of the, the, la the latest <laughs> revelation. Um, so yeah, sorry, really long answer. <laughs> no, that's great. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. What did support look like for you growing up? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think in like a lot of really, really important ways. My parents were like super supportive. They always supported my career. Um, I think my mom was like a really big, you know, I would say like a second wave feminist sort where like her feminism was really focused on, you know, again, career and uh, financial security and equality in the workplace mm -hmm. where there was a lot more of a blind spot, I think is in terms of, um, you know, like my parents were the sort of people who would kind of make fun of the term self-esteem um, okay. I was like, oh, that's just, that's just a stupid idea. Like, I think they have a difficult. I was I was raised to believe that like self esteem and self confidence was tantamount to arrogance. You know. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, even with um to to this day, you know, dealing with my book um for my second book, um I wanted to write about the process of designing the cover for book one um mm -hmm. which um for whatever reason designing book covers is hellish. For me, I don't really know what it is. I find the process of trying to distill an entire story into a single image, just like nails on a chalkboard. It is just really, really stressful. Um, it, it creates this massive anxiety feeling within me. Um, and so it was really, really difficult. Um, and so I wrote about how difficult it was. Um, and at the end, my editor was like, well, don't you want to talk about how fun it was and how you're proud of it and how you think it's a good cover? And like, there was like this deep, profound part of me was like no you don't boy no do not, <laughs> you do not praise your own work that is shit that is the most like na nails on a chalkboard the most shameful thing you can do is like to be like I'm great so I think I mean in some ways certainly it did it, I think it gave me a more realistic view of myself and my abilities but I think also it made it somewhat difficult to advocate for myself and to mm -hmm. you know claim things i i really am someone who naturally seeks external validation for that reason you know and that's not at least always healthy so mm -hmm. i think that's that's the thing that i've been having to kind of learn on my own yeah wow um okay i'm going to switch gears really quick uh, on you on on just on a on a lighter note what what is your favorite food Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I think you're talking about like we're going to start light and then go gritty. I was like, oh, let's just go gritty immediately. Um, but okay, we'll go food, back there. Food. I was just kind of no. kind of mixed up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, food, yes, um, probably you know sushi again. Yeah. Kind of going back to my roots. Um, I was, I think, in my family, it's considered like a point of pride. Of like, oh, our kids will eat anything. We're like the we're like the opposite of picky eaters. Um, and like for me, it's like it literally is a cultural thing. Like I was raised to be like Asian people. We eat, we're adventurous eaters, we're foodies, we eat fucking everything. Also, am I allowed, am I allowed to swear? Is this okay? Fuck yeah. Okay, okay, cool. Um, so yeah, so being an adventurous eater was very, very important to me as a kid. It feels like, you know, it's a part of my family and who I am. Mm -hmm. And 
so we've been eating, I've been eating sushi since I think before it was really popular, um, since I was a little, little kid and like specifically not talking California rolls, nothing with mayonnaise, nothing with, you know, like the, the Americanified, yeah. we're, we're talking like nigiri, like the, like just the fish and the rice. Um, that's my favorite. I really like the kind of like that clean and kind of crisp flavor to it. Um, I love sushi. We'll never turn down sushi. Yeah. I would say that's actually, actually my favorite thing too. Um, Perfect. yeah. What is your least favorite food? Even though you're, it sounds like you're an adventurous eater. Cause I, I am too. I have a hard time. Like I actually like love all food, but something mm -hmm. maybe you don't like eating very often or something. Okay. Well, I think you've just called my bluff on the adventurous eater thing. Um, <laughs> uh, I have such a problem with zucchini. Zucchini. Okay. Yeah. It's like, to me, it's like this I mean, I say like in between identity, I do not, in, I like in between foods. It's like, it's kind of, it doesn't have a strong flavor, but it's kind of like soggy. I hate, it just bothers me. Like if you just char it to the point of like being completely losing all identity as zucchini, then I'm okay with it. But otherwise I'm just like, no, it will ruin a whole dish for me. <laughs> yeah, I can feel that. I mean, I could like stuff it in cake and then I could maybe eat it, some, you know, or fry it. <laughs> yeah, if you could turn it into like a bread and like it's mostly just bread. Yeah. <laughs> take a little zucchini. Yeah. All right. So let's boomerang back around to to grid again. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like that, those blurry lines of self deprecation or you know pride in hey i made this um which i think then can also bleed out into our identities of like the pride of who we are mm -hmm. so when did you kind of start to like with your gender and your sense of self in that in that way start to like push on those walls and maybe blur the lines on purpose or or just see what was happening for you yeah, I think for me, it was like a really gradual process that had to kind of begin with seeing other people begin to identif identify as non-binary. Um, it was like a super slow process because I think um, the first time I heard, you know, of non-binary as a concept was probably on like Tumblr back mm -hmm. in like 2012-ish. And like, I think I'm someone, I can have like a little bit of like a grouchy reactionary <laughs> feeling at the very beginning of things. And so like, I very much remember having this reaction of kind of like, ugh what's this? You think you're so special? You don't get to just choose. Come on. You got to pick a side. We all have to, no one likes being a woman. Right. And I think it wasn't really until I started to realize that cis people existed, <laughs> that like cis is a, that like, there were people who are, who were born in identity and identified like that and liked it. That's the important part. That's the puzzling part. That's um, the, yep. Mm -hmm. Like I remember talking to some queer people who I very much saw as gender non-conforming women. And I was like, we're, come on guys, we're all on the same page. You know, we don't identify as we just are like, come on, like, yeah. come on, we're all, we're on the, we're, we're on the same side of this. And they'd be like, no, like, I really like being a woman. And I was like, what, what, what? why? <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I think I tend to fall like, I'm not sure my identity has like a super clear label at this time. Like it is, you know, it's, I would say somewhere between like gender fluid, trans mask, it, it's still kind of a work in progress. But I think what is hard for me to imagine is someone, if like, if you, you know, you have that test where like, you know, if you could just press a button and become a different gender, would you press it? Mm. I can't imagine someone who wouldn't like want to just keep pressing that button. Just be like change, 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 change. Just for fun like why would you want to wear the same clothes every day why would you want to you know have your hair the same why would you want if you had the option surely one would change your gender up you know just for funsies um and i think the realizing that not everybody felt that way was sort of the egg crack moment mm, and that yeah. was about, i don't know four years ago or so <laughs> yeah yeah like a like when you you're questioning and it's almost like you don't even know that you're questioning and then you get a certain word like for me I, like you were saying i got the word non-binary i'm like mm. wait i've been trying to be cisgender this entire time that's why i that doesn't feel right and mm. now i actually have this word that makes more sense yeah yeah mm -hmm. but e but even then you know sometimes i have I, like non-binary i'm like it's just it's for me i'm like well i'm just 
it's the it's the closest thing I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of a nice, you know, broad, super broad umbrella term. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I feel like recently, like my brain has been kind of like, what about more masculine? Um, but I feel like there's a lot more to unpack in that space of like, you know, men and you know, patriarchy and masculinity. And I think there's a part of me that wonders like could I be a trans guy maybe but mm-hmm. I again I've, I've so grown up in this where every other part of my identity doesn't fit into a specific binary that it would, it would seem kind of odd to me in a way to fit into a binary gender wise um and so I'm not really in any hurry to put a label or to settle on anything in that space yeah so oftentimes people um general general public speakingly um you know when people hear about trans people and there's then, then the word transition, you know, pops mm-hmm. up, would you say that that like word even applies to your process or, or not? Um, I think in my case, it, it definitely does. Um, probably because I have gone through medical transition. Um, I started on testosterone a little under three years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been honestly very great for me. I really hesitated for a long time because again like I didn't you know wake up be like I am a man one day like I never had like that super clear voice telling me it was more just kind of like I'm curious about this mm-hmm. what if and one of those things like you know I just had somehow amassed a lot of information about testosterone um clearly it was something I was curious about and definitely was sort of fascinated with whenever I saw anyone else um going on tea um but I still hesitated a super long time. Um, I think the, you know, you hear so many times about, you know, medical gatekeeping and how many hoops people have to jump through. And I'm somebody who, I'm not sure if I'd call it laziness. There's a certain kind of like, ah, it's so complicated. So I just won't start, you know, like it's going to be so hard. Um, why even bother stop starting? Um, I think also like it felt kind of like the steps were a little bit, um, nebulous where like I know there are steps but what are they the fact that I don't know what they are makes me nervous it's kind of like you know if you you get like uh some some issue with your credit card and it's like okay well now I gotta call up the person but then what if they ask me a question don't the answer to what will I do then what are their extra steps and I think even the prospect of things getting more complicated was a um a reason not to do it for a very long time Mm. um um, I am fortunate enough to live in a state and a city that has a lot of trans protections. I live in California um, and my health insurance uh, through the Animation Guild. I'm, I'm a union member um, and that's been extremely, extremely helpful. Um, and it so happened that, you know, the route that I took, um, we have, um, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on the term? Um, informed consent. Okay. Uh, an informed consent model. So, you know, I had, I fully expected like, okay, I'm going to have to get a diagnosis. I'm going to have to go to a psychiatrist. I'm going to have to go to this, that, and do wait for these many months. Um, you know, especially hearing about how horrible things are in like the UK, for yeah. instance, I kind of expected that like, well, we probably have a similar system here. I was surprised to discover that, you know, in, in my situation, I did not. Um, I, I think it took about a month or so to make an appointment with um, a doctor who specialized in HRT, um, who was at, um, we have um, a, a Los Angeles LGBT center uh, very close to where I live, which is fantastic. Um, and once I got that appointment, once I got on the phone with him, I literally had a prescription in my hand that day. And mm-hmm. I was just kind of staring at being like, I don't know, I wasn't expecting this to to go so well. I'm, I'm confused now. Um, Talk about the message that we get, like, you know, all the hoops that we have, that we're supposed to think that we have Mm -hmm. to do to just to be ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in a way that had been a little bit difficult for me to kind of process a little bit earlier on, because I think my first, first step was I was like, okay, I think I might be non-binary. I clearly have to go to a psychologist and I need to get a diagnosis as Mm -hmm. non-binary because I think the idea of just me being able to say that I was felt wrong like it felt like I can't possibly have the expertise to be able to make this judgment and again like Um, seeking that that external validation I wanted a piece of paper I wanted a mathematical formula that would prove that I was non-binary um because I wanted that 
security because I think it's it's scary to claim something just for yourself. Um, I think I grew up always feeling that like very much doubting my own experience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I I may land somewhere on kind of like the the neurodiver- neurodivergence space i'm not exactly again that's not that's another that's a that is a journey for another another month another year perhaps yeah yeah. um i definitely relate to the feeling of like doubting your own reality and it felt like you know i would observe things differently from other people as a little kid i had a hard time kind of communicating and so there are a lot of times when i'd be wrong about you know relatively fundamental things about the world as a little kid you know and I think that kind of carried on into adulthood of feeling like my observations are not to be trusted. They can only be valid if someone else validates them for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We, we'd learned to self gaslight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And again, there's still a part of me that hangs onto that where it's like, well, I don't, again, I don't ever want to become the words that come to my mind are always arrogant or, you know, self-centered or, you know, self-absorbed, those are like big shame words for me. Um, And so I I do want to be someone who, you know, seeks advice, who, you know, verifies things, who doesn't, you know, who doesn't, uh, like, again, that that self-doubt always creeps in. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think the downside of that is obviously you're giving up a lot of power when you do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, again, the way to motivate me is to to put it in a shame-based context. Uh, sorry about that. Um, the other part is like, you're also putting a lot of pressure on whoever you're seeking validation from, you know? And like, I think I would see it as like, oh, like I am I'm expecting somebody else to perform my emotions and my feelings for me um, rather than claiming them for myself. And inevitably that will kind of lead me to like resenting the other person for not perfectly mirroring my feelings back to me, which no one can do like I can only do that for myself yeah um and I think that's been kind of the thing that has kind of pushed me forward it's like you know I'm an adult I have a right to my own feelings and there's there is no perfect reality where another human being perfectly matches you in that way you know Mm -hmm. um and when I got to when I, I did find a therapist um, and I was a little bit scandalized when she did not, you know, say like, yes, you are non-binary. Here's the stamp of non-binary approval. She would just like, ask me questions about my feelings and my preferences. And I was kind of like, what is this? What do you mean? You're just asking like, no, I'm asking you. But like, you know, she didn't, she didn't give that to me because that is not her job. And she is not capable of giving that to me. What a great therapist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think. Oh my gosh, I feel like there's so many worse experiences I could have had with therapists who would have, you know, tried to, you know, you know, well, you don't click, you know, check enough boxes to become non-binary. So you're not. Um, So I'm very grateful for that experience. Um, But I think I kind of processed that. And it was still a couple of years between that first meeting with the psychologist. And when I was like, admitted to myself that I did want to go on T. And... I think by that time, I was just like, okay, I just, I just gotta take the plunge. I just gotta see what this is like. Um, and again, seeing how simple it was in my case to go on tea, I think for me, like the 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 feeling I left from that appointment was like actually a little bit of anger at the medical system that more people didn't have that access. You know, mm-hmm. like I was just like oh, I'd been learning so much about how difficult it is, how people wait for years and how many, you know, hoops they have to jump through and realizing that it could be this simple. Why isn't it this simple for everybody? You know? Yeah. Was it a little bit like, oh, I'm, I'm believed and Mm -hmm. now I just get what I need. And yeah. Why does this have to be so difficult for everybody else? Yeah. And it, it really kind of highlighted how much just like hand wringing and kind of political nonsense gets thrown around this kind of fear mongering about like, you know, like, Oh, you know, these innocent girls are being tricked into being transgender and they're being, you know, pushed testosterone. And like, it's like, no, like that's not what informed consent is. They are very upfront about what the risks are because it's a medical procedure. 
I mean, I'm, I'm not sure procedures, like, you know, the medical transition, it is, it is still something you're putting in your body, like yeah. many other things in life. Um, and, you know, I think people have this desire to protect people by restricting their access to things and by restricting their freedoms. Um, and this really kind of showed me like, that's not the only way to do it. You can, you know, still have safety. You can still have, you know, information and making sure people are making rash decisions, but also at the end of the day, acknowledge that this is their body. They get to fucking decide what they do with it, you know? Yeah. I think you bring up such a, you're really shine like you're taking the spool of thread and just like pulling it, like mm -hmm. just unraveling it beautifully. It's um, where we're coming into this. I feel like we're, we're coming into a, a place in our, our world where it's like, you have to find a way to trust yourself. And even if you didn't before, now you do, because when you do, whoa authenticity life like just unravels in these other ways that mm -hmm. is supposed to bring you know brings magic i think but mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, um oh go ahead oh, um i'm gonna make like a, a silly film reference just mm -hmm. like trusting yourself um i think what was like a big revelation for me um i watched the film um, have you seen the movie um bo is afraid from last year no um I cannot guarantee that you will like it. I think it's extremely, it's a lot. Um, if you like Ari Aster's other films, you might enjoy it. But um, it's sort of like, it's a horror director's attempt to make a comedy. Um, it's it's very messy. Um, <laughs> but that movie, I think kind of shocked me into the space of like, you need to trust yourself kind of or else. Um, mm. Because that is a movie that is all about a man who is so desperate to please others and so desperate to be seen as a good person and to do all the correct things um, and never is, is fundamentally incapable of trusting himself and trusting his own decisions in a way that could upset anybody else. Um, and I think for me, I had always been harboring under this fantasy that, you know, if I could just perfectly please everybody, if I could just perfectly follow the rules and do everything, then no one will be mad at me and my life will be okay. And this movie basically places his, this main character in a world in which the world is fundamentally unfair as our world kind of is. Mm -hmm. And it shows that like, hey, you could do everything right and people could still hate you. People could still be mad at you and find things to be upset at you about. And there is no reward at the end of the, you know, for being perfect. And it felt like Ari Aster had just kind of reached out of the screen, just like shook me. It's like, you cannot, you cannot live your life this way. <laughs> this oh, is not yeah. okay. Um, so yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that movie kind of changed my life. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Do you, um, when you, do, do you want to answer like a, a, a medical transition question? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, were there, when you started on T, cause I guess I'm asking, cause I, I felt this way too, where there were things that I wanted to happen, but didn't want to happen. And mm -hmm. the third thing at the same time, right. T mm -hmm. Talk about putting the trust in your, in your body or in yourself, things I knew that I couldn't control. Yeah. So mm -hmm. did, did you kind of have, like, I had like a list of like, yes, no, and mm -hmm. can't, can't help it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I definitely had researched so much into it beforehand. And I think the most frustrating part was like, they can't guarantee specific changes. Right. And it's mm -hmm. all about like, it's all about how the testosterone, how it interacts with your specific body. And I was like, I hate that. I want to know exactly what's going to happen. Um, Cause I think for me, like body hair, 100% was like the one I did not want. I was like, that's a key. I don't like that. Um, I think fear of like, you know, what would the fat redistribution look like was a little mm -hmm. bit scary. Um, I think um, uh, male pattern baldness, like straight up, that's the scariest part <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, that, you know, there's, you know, I'm also on finasteride. So like part of it is like, you know, uh, working against, there are, there are things you can do to, uh, to to some extent, you know, deal with that. Um, but there are still things that I'm a little bit like, hmm, a little bit worried about that. But honestly, like the positives have so massively outweighed the negatives that like, I, I can't imagine going off it right now. Mm -hmm. um, I think for me, like the, the clinching factor was, I mean, I, I say fat redistribution as a negative thing, but also like, 
a lot of my dysphoria lives for me dysphoria lives in the thighs okay <laughs> that's where it is right now um I don't like being curvy on the bottom half of my body yeah. um I was just very very frustrated with it I knew that was something that was very difficult to change uh, without going on tea and so that was kind of the final thing was like I just gotta take the plunge and do this um frustrating thing is that like that's also the last thing to change i think when you go on tea um it kind of <laughs> takes the slows and also the first thing to change to to reverse if you go off of it um so would love if that went out the case testosterone i have notes um but, <laughs> um there are also like some a lot of unexpected things which i liked which i didn't necessarily expect um i think the fact that i, I think i kind of make a joke about how there's something of a like a trans to gym rat pipeline. Um, oh, okay, yeah. That I've 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 known where it's like people who hated working out before transition, but like once they transition, it's like, oh, I like my body more, and if I work out, I can become more of that. Um, and that's very much what it was for me. You know, like you on testosterone, and like I feel like it's easier to build like upper body strength in particular. Um, and I was like, oh, I have been unable to do a push up my entire life, and suddenly this is happening. And suddenly like, this is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really cool. Um, but it really got intense this past year where just kind of on a whim, there happens to be a gym near my house. I've never been part of a gym my entire life with always kind of like, I'm not sort of like looked down on, but it's kind of like, Oh, those, those people, they're different from me. <laughs> they're not the same. <laughs> I very much come from a, a family. That's sort of like, we, we exist from the head up. <laughs> <laughs> um anything that is below your neck is vanity and it is silly and it is superficial and you shouldn't think about it um which is probably a reason i kind of uh, one of many reasons i hesitated to transition because i was like i shouldn't think about this who thinks about their body that's weird mm -hmm. um you should only think about what's in your mind anything else again is is of the mortal realm of which one does not <laughs> is not is not worthy of our consideration um but, you know, thinking more about about my body having transitioned, I was like, I'm curious what would happen if I went to the gym. And in my case, what happened when I went to the gym is that like all the positive effects of testosterone about, you know, changing your overall body shape just got like turbocharged very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this is a cheat code to looking like a dude in a way that I never thought was possible before. And like, I think I had read on like, you know, trans writers like, oh yeah, like if you build up your shoulders, like you'll have a more masculine frame. I was like, sounds fake. But like, I'm sure it's like, it's so subtle. Like who even cares? Like, it's going to be like, come on, there's no way that's worth going to be so much work. And for what? Like, you know, a few millimeters of muscle, who cares? No, it's huge. It's it's absolutely massive, the difference. Um, and yeah, it's it's been really fun. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's so fun. It's so it's so great to hear. Like, because I'm a, as a trainer, as a personal trainer, um, it's like I have always enjoyed working out, and then I I think I feel like a part of me, um, made it my job because otherwise I wouldn't do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but then to stop taking testosterone, lifting, I I did I enjoyed lifting but for certain reasons. And then I started on T and I was like, Oh, this is, this is the key that now fits in the door mm -hmm. that because obviously like the, the, the physical effects are you, I was noticing I could lift more mm -hmm. than I could before, which was yeah. fun. But just mm -hmm. on that, like wellness note, it brought joy mm -hmm. to as you're, I think is you're, you're saying to the experience of like, this is work, but that's actually not even like work because it's now it's now it's fun. And it's also doing yeah. all these other things. Yeah. And I think I can still kind of struggle a little bit with um again, a little bit of that like guilt and shame aspect where like of, you know, like, oh, you have to work out a certain number of times a week. And so there is still a little bit more of like a, a hurdle to overcome mentally. Mm -hmm. Uh I'm still kind of working on seeing the actual process of working out as something that's a little bit more fun, a little bit less punishing um i think especially when i get like super busy at work like and then i just like oh, i still have to go to the gym uh then you know i'm weaker i'm not focused enough and so like then it's not as much fun but i have found that like i feel like for the first time like when i'm just like i'm on vacation or i have like a little bit more 
free time, I actually do want to work out. That's mm-hmm. the first time that's ever happened. You know, like that's crazy and new. Yeah. Um, and, you know, part of it is also kind of like, hey, I get a good pump. Now I, I can just like look at my arms in the mirror and be like, yeah, that's that's a big motivator. Yeah. Of like, you know, like leaning into like the vanity aspect of it. Um, and like and vanity not as a bad thing. It's like, you know, like, hey, why not, you know, enjoy how you look? Um so yeah. yeah, yeah. Talk about that that trans wellness where like your body's language is talking to your brain, being like, "Hey, this feels really good, and this is okay." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, another weird uh, a part that is specific, like to me, like lifting and how it overlaps with my work is that mm-hmm. like I think I can also appreciate on another level of like you know I've been taking figure drawing classes since I was like in eighth grade. Um, so I you know I study the body, I draw the body. That is probably my primary thing. And I think of the types of art that I do, the thing I and I like doing most um, is posing work. Um, so it is, you know, I really, really care about, you know, how I'm conveying characters' emotions and really selling that visually. And so much of that is like really understanding the body, understanding how it moves, how it works. Because as humans, we are designed to hyper-focus on body language, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's so many nuances and so much beauty and also just challenges in translating that to you know a two-dimensional image to drawing that as opposed to kind of like living it in your body um and I feel like (laughs) I definitely have been drawing like my characters have gotten a little bit more well-defined arms I will say since going on makes sense (laughs) you know I think it makes me I mean they say also that you know going on tea it makes you a little bit more visually focused um in terms of like you know attraction and so I feel like I appreciate like especially the male body a little bit more mm-hmm. and that affects how I draw which is kind of fun like um I'm much more aware of like here's how these muscles how they interact and also I can connect that to I know how they move how that res- you know how that results in different looks um and it is just kind of this kind of full mind body experience of you know being able to reflect um how I work how I move in my work and then like how I want how my knowledge of art and the visual side kind of informs like appreciation for, you know, how I look and how also, you know, not like ogling people in the gym, but like, you know, admiring, mm-hmm. <laughs> taking inspiration from um, and being like that muscle does that. And that muscle will look like this. And that muscle will affect this pose in this, in this situation. Um, it's just, it kind of adds this kind of like extra complexity to the appreciation. Yeah. So, so would you include then um, that you've you've added the gym as one of your joys? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely want to keep up with it. I definitely enjoy it a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. What? Oh, go ahead. I was. I would say, like, I w- man, I I would kill for it to be like a little bit more like a fun group experience. I think one thing that's mm-hmm. been interesting for me growing up is that like, I used to see myself as like a total introvert, definitely want to just like, you know, work at home silently by myself all day, um, getting into the animation industry. And especially during lockdown, I realized that like, I actually really like being part of a creative team, yeah. um, you know, and um, I kind of, that's the one thing, if I could find a lifting class, I'd be so happy. Um, and it's, it's a little bit more solitary than I would super love. Um, but aside from that, I'm really enjoying it. There could be a trans mask lifting class mm-hmm. somewhere. They have them, you know, I... If they're going to have them, probably have them in Los Angeles, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'd love to meet more trans mask people. I feel like I want that community. Yeah. Well, I would live, I would live with you if you were, mm-hmm. if we were in the same city. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love um, that. What... What's your secret talent today? Oh, oh, secret talent. Yeah. Oh, again, we're we're getting to that space of like, oh, I'm a workaholic. I don't have any identity outside of my work. What could I possibly do? What could I say for this? <laughs> um, I'm a pretty solid vegan cook. Hey, um, I had like a little bit of a cholesterol scary a couple of years ago, and I was like, I need to cut down on my meat intake, um, and so kind of. After growing up, again, despite being Japanese, tofu just like was not on my radar for some reason. I was like, mm-hmm. it's weird. It sucks. It's tasteless. I just woke up one day. I don't know what it was. I'm just like, this is the day where I learned to cook 
tofu so good. And I just like, I just went on a fucking binge for like a year. I just like went full, just like vegan recipes, a lot of like Indian, a lot of, you know, Asian cuisine. And um, I love tofu now and I love how I cook tofu. So that's, I guess that's my little special talent. What's your favorite way to cook it? Um, I love a gochugaru tofu, like oh, a Korean style. Yeah. Um, it's like, I mean, um, I mean, just like a very, it's like a simple braised tofu, uh, which is like a really thick, spicy sauce. Um, and it's just like so flavorful and you get like nice little, you had like some like fresh, um, fresh scallions, some little fresh greens on top, put it over rice. It is just to die for. It's extremely oh, salty, but it's to die for. <laughs> <laughs> do you own an air fryer? I do not own an air fryer. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm like the, the most I have is, you know, your mandatory rice cooker. Yeah. Um, and even that took me a long time to get because again, I think um again, even though I am half Japanese, um, my dad is actually the cook in the family and he is my 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 white dad is the cook in the family. And so okay. I actually was raised on more like Italian cuisine. And he was he's like a more of a minimalist style cooker, like anti any fancy gadgets, anti anything that's like has a couple pots, a couple pans, and does very good cooking. Um and it took me a while to realize that like, eh, I could use a little a little extra, a little extra. So um I'm not a big gadget person in general. Okay. I recently got a, an air fryer, mm-hmm. an air fryer, and put and, and put tofu in it, and I was like, "Oh, this is quite lovely." Anyway, I hear it's. I'll probably invest in an air fryer at some point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what would you say is your? Um, I'm gonna touch upon this. Your biggest fear. Ooh, getting really gritty. I love this. Um. So I feel like my fears are a little bit in transition. Okay. Um, in, in, in not like gender transition, but their own transition. We're like having now kind of achieved this, you know, lifelong dream of being a published author. Yeah. And I think the thing happened that people talk about a lot um, where I was warned so many times by other authors being like, hey, look, when your first book is published, the biggest surprise is that like nothing happens. Like your life is still fundamentally the same. And obviously your book is published, but mm-hmm. like, I think, deep down since I was like a little little kid I always kind of imagined like a published author is like the biggest celebrity possible again coming from that more very intellectual side um you know not to open up that barrel of worms you know grew up in the era of Harry Potter right of like mega this mega property was bigger than anything yeah and I wasn't really processing being like yo 99.9999% of authors are not J.K. Rowling her experience is an incredible outlier. That is not the real life of a published author. But I think in the back of my mind, for like 20 years, I'd had this thought of like, but what if I was? What if? What if I could be J.K. Rowling, but not transphobic? What if I could do that? What if that happens? Of course, it doesn't happen. Um, You know, and that was like a big shock to my system, even though I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. And I think to my own credit, I was kind of like, I can tell this is like devastating me on like an existential level, but I feel like I need to lean into the devastation. I need to sit with this shit because I can feel like there's something important on the other side of this where I think previously the worst thing I could imagine was like, not being a famous author, which sounds silly because that's what I, I mean, I, I wasn't a famous author. You know, they talk about, you know, like Americans see themselves as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Um, I think I saw myself as like a temporarily embarrassed bestselling author, you know, okay. not, not even bestselling, but like international mega hit. Um, <laughs> and then I'm going to grapple with like, Hey, that's not you. Or like, that is most likely not you, but also that's not most people. And like, you don't look down on other people for not being best-selling authors. And like, of course not. So like, well, you shouldn't look down on yourself, but I'm like, but I'm disappointed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why? Why do you want this fundamentally? And I think the deeper truth that I had to grapple with was going back to that feeling of, you know, being a little kid feeling that I wasn't being listened to, that my reality wasn't valid that I was wrong about things that for me what being an author meant was that everybody praises you and gives you so much attention and they say that you're right about everything 
which isn't even the case for J.K. Rowling. <laughs> yeah. For for good reason. Um, like that's not possible. That is not a thing that anything can grant you unless you're like a dictator and you're forcing everybody to do that, which I wouldn't want, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so I think my fears are shifting because I'm like, okay, that is no longer my fear because I can see that it's a deeply irrational. Um, and so I'm still kind of like working my way around, like what, if that's not the fear, cause that had been like, that was way worse than fear of death, way worse, mm-hmm. you know, fear of being, you know, of not being famous, which is ridiculous. Again, most people by definition are not famous and it's fine for them. But for them, it wasn't fine for me. Um, it's like, okay, I think, I feel like I'm not fully past that yet, but I'm in the process of moving past it. So what am I afraid of now? I'm still kind of guessing what that would be. Um, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't feel super strongly about this right now. I think it might be not having community. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I say that with some suspicion, like that sounds very healthy. I think I'm not confident. I'm being honest about that myself. Um, That feels very healthy, but I think there's something to it. Um, Like I find myself much more gravitating nowadays to stories about like teamwork. Um, So I have never rowed for a single day in my entire life and like rowing, like the activity. I've never done it. Okay. Um, But um, I saw a trailer for this movie that the boys in the boat, which I know nothing about. Favorite books. Yes. Okay, cool. I guess maybe I should read the book. Okay, cool. I, I'm not a, again, I'm not a sports boy. Um, but I was like tearing up while I was watching that trailer. I'm like, they have friends and they're working together mm-hmm. as a team. And like, that's so good. That's what I want. Um, and again, like I said, um, during the pandemic, I really came to realize like, I miss being in an office. I miss being with my friendos. Um, and where I feel like I really got that back was, um, this past, um, about a year and a half ago, I started working uh, for the first time as a a supervising director, which, uh, for television animation basically means like you, um, there are typically like three or so directors who direct all the individual episodes of a show and the supervising director supervises them. They supervise the entire story team. Um, it's a a nebulous, (laughs) uh, title. Um, but that was my first time being in kind of like a new leadership role. I got to hire on my own team. I got to kind of handpick who I wanted to be part of this crew. Um, and I really kind of focused on like, you know, diversity. I still think I could have pushed a little bit farther in that space, but still try to focus on it, um, for diversity, really focus on personality and like making people who would have a good time working together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got to work with them for um, a little under a year. And that, was such an awesome experience for me um and i was like this is i feel like this is healing all the trauma of the pandemic and being isolated for so long i feel a renewed excitement about my work i feel a renewed excitement about this industry um Mm -hmm. and just like this feels really right to me and i want to be able to keep doing that and i think my fear is that i won't be able to do that um, you know, I think right now our animation is in a really, really precarious place right now. We're facing a lot of outsourcing. We're facing a lot of threats from AI. I mean, okay. just a lot of corporate greed, a lot of bad things are happening. And so I'm just like, I just figured out that I really want this. I want to be able to keep this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also really want to have more like trans friends. You know, I want that yeah. trans community, um, and I think that's a little scarier for me. I'm much more comfortable being proactive in my career than I am in my personal life. I think career can be a little bit of a shield in a way to rejection because again, I was again coming from that more intellectual, more career focused space. I am used to being like, okay, this is hard, but you should push through it because that's what a professional does. It's harder to do in a personal space where everything feels, you know, personal and it feels like if you don't if you meet people that you don't gel with there's less of that that shield that i can put up and be like you are being a professional it's like oh i'm being a person i'm saying about how it's more vulnerable for me to 
reach out for community in my personal life and in my professional life. Yes. I was going to say something about that, but I also wanted to to talk or to ask you, just go back to the rowing thing uh, with boy, boys in the boat. All right. I, I was a rower in college and oh, wow. cool. I read um, boys in the boat and I, and over much, much time, I have kind of, it makes sense to me why I was drawn to rowing because I feel like if allyship was a sport, it's mm, rowing. I love that. And um, because it's individual, everyone has to do the work on their own, but collectively. Mm-hmm. And if one person isn't really pulling their weight, the entire boat gets thrown off. Mm. And when you do, so to speak, catch a crab, which is like, Mm. you know, when your oar goes in the water and you fly out of the boat, um, Mm. your team circles back around to get you and Mm. you get back in the boat and you keep going. And I was like, that's allyship. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think I, I, I can, I grew up with a more individually kind of focused mindset of being like, oh, I'm introverted. I can't figure out teamwork stuff. I have a difficulty, I have difficulty communicating. This is all scary and stressful. Why don't I just do everything by myself? And again, taking on this leadership role has kind of struck me that like, oh no, I can do this. And I like this. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's nice for me as I get, I like to have the simultaneous, you know, working, but also getting the, like the social interaction and that fulfillment at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I got to find a rowing team. (laughs) Well, earlier, so you were talking about like the professional self, um, you know, is it, was it kind of like there was this idea of, well, now that um, I've, I'm, I've been published, I, Mm -hmm. I can do something. And then it became, what if I, the worst fear, worse than death would be not doing something. Mm Mm-hmm. Was that yeah, kind I of think, like in there somewhere or? I'm not even sure like not doing something. It was, it was the recognition, you know, mm-hmm. like it was that val- again, just another version of that external validation okay. that I want. And I think in my mind, there was always this like, cause I, I'm, I work quite long hours. Like I said, I think I just finished doing the cover for book two. That was like eight days of like 14 hour days, uh, not fun, not going to change that up for the next book. Um, yeah. But I, I do frequently work, you know, basically I wake up, I work and then I finish my day job and then I work on the comic. Um, probably going to, again, going to switch that up once I'm done with this particular contract <laughs> and not going to do that as much anymore because I don't think it's as healthy. Um, but I think, oh my God, I got so caught up in like, reciting my my work my uh my work credentials that I forgot what I was trying to say um um about doing something versus not doing something yes yes. and I would get so exhausted all the time um that you know the the work was no longer fun and I would just tell myself if I just finish this thing then I'll have always I will always have done this thing and then I'll not have this constant feeling of not doing enough and then I can just coast for the rest of my life, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think I'd always kind of had this idea of like, this is the one thing, this will do it. This will validate me. Um, like I used to think, you know, like, oh, once I become a director, like a TV director, yeah. then, you know, I can just have that title and then I'll be valid for the rest of my life. And it's going to be great. Um, but of course, I think by the time I started to pitch my own shows, suddenly directors seemed like a step down from that. And so going back to directing after doing um, development, which is, you know, trying to create a show from scratch, which I still want to do, um, but it's still, it's a very, very difficult um, professional goal to achieve. Um, suddenly, some that I thought would make me feel secure forever did not feel secure at all, mm-hmm. you know? And then, um, you know, a few years ago, I was uh, fortunate enough, I was um, nominated for um, an Annie, which is kind of like the baby yeah. Oscars of for animation um, for sequenced on Star, um, and I was like, okay, I will always be an Annie-nominated artist. This is it. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm done. I will always know that I'm good enough. But, you know, the styles change, trends change. Um, and, you know, I still have this feeling of like, oh, I'm worried about keeping up my skills. I'm not, I don't feel like I can just rest on my laurels. Um, and that if I do, then I'm going to fall behind. I think it's tough to come to that acceptance that like 
like your identity and your sense of value and your skills, everything about you, you can't just reach a plateau and then coast forever. You know, it's, you're always going to have stuff well, that you're going to feel you need to improve. Yeah. Well um, said. Yeah. Um, uh, but I guess the flip side of that is that like, I would also kind of use that like awareness that like, you're probably not going to be completely validated for as an excuse to never start, you know, mm-hmm. of just like, well, you know, why transition? You know, you're never going to get to exactly where you want to be. So why bother starting? It's a waste of time. We're all going to die. Who cares? Um, <laughs> yeah. but like, I can do that with a lot. It's like, you know, why bother having a nicer place to live? You're just going to die. You know, <laughs> so like, you know, why bother um, trying to improve your life? You're a, you're a mortal being. Why bother improving the, the flesh coil that you will simply discard one day? Um, mm-hmm. But I think then, you know, going through transition going through trying to improve yourself you know you do find that like like the improvement even if you know you're not a god of animation or uh, the the most the most trans um it is validating just to work towards it and to make it a little bit better every day you know and that you know the 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 perfect goal doesn't exist but it's still it's still fun to improve yourself and to work towards that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Tell, um, so tell the listeners for, as we kind of wrap things up, tell the listeners, what's something that you wish you were asked about more? Oh, Ooh. Oh gosh. I mean, I love to talk about so many things. <laughs> what can I talk about? <laughs> um, like, in personal life, I'm somebody, I actually really, I'm like a little bit hyper fixated on transition. It's like the, the science of it and just like the, 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 the choices that trans people get to make. And I, I think it's really, really cool. Um, I think it's kind of like, I find like the science of like voice dropping on testosterone as like an older person, super interesting and how it's different from a cis person. Um, I find Mm -hmm. it so interesting how body fat redistribution happens. I think it's so super cool. It bums me out that like, oh, I can't share this super widely because there are some people out there who will use this for evil purposes Mm -hmm. um, to try to clock people to try and, you know, to do unpleasant things. Um, but I think it's objectively really interesting, you know, and I, I love talking about my own journey um, and stuff that I've noticed. I think it's just like, I think it's so cool, um, but it's also like super personal things. Like I don't want to like share it to like a random stranger, like, hey guys, <laughs> do you want to know? Um, I'm not even going to say what my brain went to. Um, like, do you want to know this <laughs> extremely personal thing about me? Because I will tell you. Um, so I, don't, I, I love talking hey, about transition. Hey, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, it will tell you yeah. all the details. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that shit. Um, but yeah, that's, that's probably the number one thing, like transition and trans people and, you know, all the different ways that we, we claim our identities for ourselves and how cool that is. Yeah, I think it really kind of encompasses um, how much anti-shame work we end up doing mm-hmm. um, because to really understand yourself as a trans person in this world, you have to like see enough of yourself to be like, Oh no, no, no I'm real and I'm, and I'm valid. And mm-hmm. um, where was it going with that? Just mm-hmm. how I, I think it's like of the tragedy of, of people that people don't want to live. They don't want to dig or to know. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. 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 Um, I think, I don't know, I think one thing that's, that this is the sensation I tend to feel meeting another trans person um, is this, I, I get like, maybe this is a weird analogy, but like, I feel the way I feel like walking into someone's like beautifully decorated house of just mm-hmm. like knowing that they put the work to make themselves like this. And if, uh-huh. knowing that it's the fact that, you know, they weren't just born that way, that they had to work at it and they had to come to it on the, to have all these like revelations and experimentation and working through the super awkwardness that is like second adolescence and push through that and to have the courage to do that just for themselves is so cool and so admirable. And just like, I am sort of just blown away by the beauty of it, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know. I think trans people are super awesome and 
Um, yeah. <laughs> that I, I agree with you, obviously. And I love that you just said that so beautifully in an extraordinary way of, because one of my questions um, earlier, I was going to ask you, what does your internal world look like? And I feel like you just answered that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to I build a beautiful house. Inside. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we want to do is just build a beautiful house. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Um, Listeners, I will tell you where to find Sage in all of their uh, work and books and um, socials and all the good things. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of I Swear I'm Real. I want you all to reach out. So you can find us on Instagram. I swear I'm real. You can find us on YouTube. I swear I'm real. You can find me on TikTok at Coach Alex Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-A-N. And you can also email me at alex at howtobequeer.com. So I want to hear your questions, your comments, your stories. And if you would like to be on the podcast or if you know someone who wants to be on the podcast, again, please reach out, alex at i. <laughs> Hallie, Hallie produced podcast. Alex at howtobequeer.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. All right. Have a good one, y'all.